I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, passion, or self-control, rather. Against such there is no law. For those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, Paul says, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know the truth and this truth can make us free. Thank you for the opportunity to come on Sunday morning to be able to read, to be able to study, to be able to hear what thus saith the Lord. May as we share this message, dear God, you plant this word into our hearts and may our hearts be receptive. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure you get one. We want everyone to have a copy of the sermon. Small introduction, but read it with me if you will. Paul's first admonition was stand fast. Now he says walk in the spirit. Our standing in Christ determines our walk in Christ. One of the most amazing things about the gospel and about the word of God is that it was current and relevant when it was written. And thousands of years later, it is current and it is relevant. It is for us today. There is not a person here that at times you don't struggle when it comes to your relationship, the world, and all of the things that surround us each and every day. I think especially young people. I'm just amazed at our youth in this church that how they live and they're dedicated to God and they're faithful. I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed. And yet I know in every young heart there is a struggle. You know how I know because, believe it or not, yes, I was at one time young. And all of us, no matter our age, no matter the environment that we were raised in, no matter who we are, we struggle. One of the things about Paul's writing to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 7, and I 
if you've never really studied Romans 7 and, 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 and Romans 8, I encourage you to do that. Let that be a project this year, or rather this week. Let it be a time when you will study. But in this chapter 7, the Apostle Paul talks about that struggle, that struggle. So all of us struggle, especially our youth, especially our young men. You struggle, emotions, temptations. Well, what I want to do this morning as we share with you the scripture is to help us all to know how to deal with these struggles. Paul calls it conflicts. There is a conflict between the old nature and the new nature. And a lot of people, especially new converts, when they come to Christ, accept him as their personal savior, and then they start living out this life, they're so discouraged because, number one, the devil will tell them you never received anything to start with. Number two, he'll tell you you've lost your salvation. You've lost your relationship with God because you struggle, because you did something you should not have done. And the devil makes havoc of, of especially young converts in these areas where these conflicts take place and these struggles take place. And he'll tell you, you, you know, God don't love you. He'll tell you how bad you are because you have those thoughts. He'll tell you you're not ready for heaven because you said those things. If there was one thing that Paul really spoke against was legalism, legalism. And a lot of people have been raised in church where there was legalism. And legalism does nothing but bring us into bondage. And I'm not talking about license to sin. I'm not talking about habitually, knowingly, premeditatingly sinning. But all of us sin. That may be a shocker to some of you, but all of us sin in some measure. And all of us are tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. There's nothing wrong with the conflict in your life. Paul said, when I I want to do good, evil is there. And that that I don't want to do, I find myself doing it. And the last thing, especially young people need, is for someone to put them down because of something in their life. And so this message today helps us to to look at it squarely in the eye and say, here's where I am, here is where I need help, and God is going to help me. Here's the thing about it. With all of our struggles, every one of us, every one of us, youth, moms, dads, All of us can be victorious. We do not have to succumb to these temptations. But it still doesn't stop the struggles. There are still struggles. But the Bible says for us here to walk in the spirit. What does it mean? Look at your notes. To walk in the spirit. It means to have our daily lives under Christ's control. It simply means that you and I as believers, submit 
And that word is not tossed around a lot today because people don't want to submit to authority. But we must submit to the control of God and in essence submit to the direction of the word of God. And there's no way you can know right from wrong. You can know, there's no way you and I can know what to do and what not to do unless we first of all know God's word. That's the reason that it is important for us to know God's word. Not only does it mean to submit to Christ and the direction of the word of God, but to be no longer under the bondage of legalism. Number three, many are like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. That's recorded in Luke chapter 15. That lived, This young man lived in bondage. He had no joy, not only in his walk with God, but in his service for the Lord. Probably not a one of us today that has not heard the story or the parable of the prodigal son. And we focus on him. Really the focus in that parable is God himself, the father. But there is another part of that parable and it's the brother of the prodigal son. You see, he didn't go out and spend all of his on riotous living and come back with his head bowed to the father and ask the father to forgive. That was the prodigal son. The brother stayed at home, but he was miserable. He was a sad person. Most all of us know this story probably and how that when the son come back, the father forgave him and reinstated him as a son and reclothed him and through a party. The, young, the older brother came home and heard the noise and asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant said, hey, your younger brother's come home. Well, he was furious. And he said, listen, I'm not even going to go in. He was so stubborn and had such, so much hate in his heart, he wouldn't even go in. And father had to go out and he told him, he said, I've been with you. The son told the father, I've been with you all of this time. I've never asked you for all of this. I've served you. And you know, this is where the church gets if it's not careful. We look at what's going on with people and we go to church and we are faithful in our church attendance, in our tithing and in our service to the Lord. And then we fold our arms and say, well, God, you're better to him than you are to me. I'd rather not serve you. And we live under this cloud if we're not careful. And we don't understand how God works. We live with this, this bitterness or or unforgiveness. I never forget when I, uh, I first started pastoring. I, I did everything I possibly could. Anyone call me, I was there. Didn't matter who it was. We got more people out from under bridges and took them to Hardy's. It was over there in Wellens Village at one time. I guess it's still over there. I'm not sure. We fed them. We got them bus tickets to go to Virginia or wherever. We took them to the drugstore and bought their and filled the prescriptions. We we bought them food and we would go out into the neighborhood and I'll never forget carrying big bags of food up steps to their house. We did it all the time. We gave and gave and gave. 
And no matter when they called, no matter what time of the day or the night or the conditions, I was always there. It could be raining, whatever. It could be 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, I was there. And I'll never forget, I was sitting next to a cot on Cleveland Street about 1 o'clock in the morning. It was cold and dreary. And I'd been called to this house by a man and I went to help him. Cleveland Street, next to him, he was drunk. And he preached to me. And he preached to me. And he preached to me. But I would always go. We, we were constantly going to the hospitals. And one day I said, God, it seems like, and I tried to help so many people, and it just seems like that much of it is wasted because I'd see this when I'd buy them a bus ticket, send them to Virginia, and the next day I'd see them walk in the streets. They'd go down, take that bus ticket, turn it in, and go get drugs. They'd take, listen, I don't know how they did this. But they'd take their drugs that we bought for their kids to get well. They'd take them back, get the money back, and go dry illegal drugs and alcohol. I mean, they they knew how to work the system. And I said, Lord, it seems like a lot of the things I've done for you is wasted. He spoke to me and he said something that I'll never forget. And this has been 40 years ago, 35 years ago. He said to me, nothing you ever do for me is wasted. And he keeps a good account of it. And no matter the person or persons that you've tried to help and you did help. Now I don't walk around. I mean, you know, people call me now. I don't run. I don't know. See, what if a drunk calls you? You know what I tell them to do? Because they always call you at night. They don't call you in the daytime. They call you at night. Get you out of bed. I'll answer the phone. Would you come, preacher? I need help. I said, you really need help? Yes. I said, you go to sleep. Wake up. Call me at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'll come and help you. You know how many has called me? So we need, we, you know, we need, I don't just run and do whatever today. You, you need to be wise, but we do need to help. Minister, give, reach out to the hurting, reach out to the poor and help those people. But many are like this prodigal son's brother. They live with despair. They live they're, they're miserable in their service to the Lord. And they're, listen to this. There's so many believers today that are miserable serving God. And God never intended that. God wants, listen, serving God is exciting. It's more exciting than Six Flags and Disney World and Disneyland and all the things thrown together. I'm telling you, it is. It's more exciting than anything the world has to offer. It's better than any sports game or whatever. Serving Jesus Christ. Don't be like the prodigal son's brother. Let's look at number two. 
I want to talk about this ongoing conflict. Listen to me. Listen at what God, I believe, is saying to them. Because you, when we walk out of here today, we will know better how to deal with these struggles. An ongoing struggle, the spirit. First of all, the spirit, spiritual rebirth. John 3, 3, Jesus says in To Nicodemus, he said, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter what church you go to, you can go to a Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic church, whatever church, doesn't matter your financial status, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've been through, doesn't matter. We all, every one of us, from the White House to wherever, must be Born again of the Spirit of God. And we can slice it any other way. But first of all, we must be born again. When a person is born again, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 22. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. You say, Brother Don, I don't understand that. Well, let me illustrate it for you. First of all, when we get saved, what does this say? What? Says Jesus. Okay, when Don Westbrook, you put your name there. When Don Westbrook got saved, here, what does this say? Don When we get saved, Jesus comes on the inside and he is in us. Amen? He's in us. Sitting here today, whether you're in church, whether you're at home, whether you're watching a ball game, whether you feel good, whether you feel bad, whether you feel like you are saved or whether you feel like you're not saved, Jesus is on the inside of you. He's in there. He takes up his abode with us. Now, Don has not only has Jesus on the inside, and put your name there, but I... Don is in Jesus. Isn't that something? But that is so simple. When we get saved, we are we're in him. Hallelujah. He watches after us, he protects us, he surrounds us. And that's the great thing. He's in us and we're in him. He's in us and we're in him. A little confusing maybe for some people, but it's very simple. It's a spiritual work. Sovereign work of God. That's the way God intended it. He meant when we got saved, Jesus through the Spirit of God came on the inside of us. Created us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Then we in turn are in him. But that's not all. Jesus Christ is in God the Father. God. So Jesus is in God. And so when that old evil, stinking, lying, 
conniving, deceiving devil comes against you to try to get to you, guess what he's got to go through to get to you? I don't think the devil's a match for God. I don't think the devil's a match for Jesus. I don't think the devil's a match for me. Because God gives us power. And we are protected and secure by Jesus Christ. So we find when we are born again, we are in Christ and Christ is in us and Christ is in the Father and so we're all one. We're all one. Number three, we are a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, in a, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Somebody say amen. Great. I like that. It's, it's, it's a great change. And that's the problem with the world today, with our political system, with our educational system, with our medical profession, and thank God for it. All of these try to change a person from the outside in. Man's way of solving problems. But what Jesus Christ does, what God does, he changes us from inside out. That's the reason we don't have to go through this thing of legalism, abide by some rule or regulation of, of or all of the stuff that we try to make happen. It just happens. And we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Here in Revelation, Paul speaks of a conflict between the believer's two nat- uh, natures. And I said, I, I mentioned that uh, Romans chapter 7. But in Galatians 5, 17, it speaks of this, this conflict. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm not going to smoke that cigarette anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, the struggle is on and on, whatever it is. I'm not going to lust anymore. I'm going, you know, we, we, we just struggle and struggle and struggle. But we don't, we don't need to allow the enemy to get the upper hand in our lives. And no matter the temptation, whether it's lust, whether it's pride, whether it's anger, whether it's an addiction, whatever it might be, God has promised us victory. Let me show you how it works. Let me show you how it works. Because I want to get a better understanding of this conflict. Look at Roman numeral number three. Number one, first we need to understand that man is a threefold being. First Thessalonians says in 523, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, completely. Underline that word in your mind. Sanctify you completely and may your whole what? Spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So man is threefold, spirit, soul, body. Notice, I'll continue. When man sinned, number two under number three, 
When man sinned, he died spiritually. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. Who did he tell that to? Adam and Eve. Did they die? They did spiritually. They didn't physically, but they died. Let me continue. Watch what what happens. When man is born again, his spirit, man's spirit, takes its rightful place. Unless something happens, the soul and flesh are back in the driver's seat. The soul and the flesh. So uh, when man died, the spirit of man died. When God told Adam and Eve, you shall die, his spirit died. And since that day, uh, man has operated from his soul and his body, listen to this, being controlled by his will, emotions, and desires. And we wonder why people do what they do. Because they're being led by the soul of man, the soulish part of man, his will, his emotions, and all of those things. That's the carnal man. That's the, not only the carnal man, that's the sinful man that has been being controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Is that simple enough to understand? I hope it is because it's, it's very important that we understand when Adam sinned, the spirit of man, the inside of man, the, the part that should know God died. And so man operated out of his soul, the feelings, the emotions. He operated out of his body, which the body desires. We know about the body, don't we? Because we can't satisfy it. We can eat and eat and eat and eat. And we never satisfy it. We just keep right on eating. And if you're into lusting, you can lust and lust and lust and entertain that spirit all you want to. It is never satisfied. And you can take drugs, you can be addicted, you can drink alcohol. And that's the reason so many teetotalers, they, they start in out just drinking a little bit of alcohol, but they go more and more and more. And pornography goes from soft porn to hard, whatever. It goes right on because man is never satisfied. And the flesh desires and desires and desires. And so when man died, his spirit died, man operated out of his soul and his body. It controlled his life. And the way you change people in prison and the way you change people in prison spiritually is to change them here. Listen to this. Listen to what happened. When a man is born again, his spirit takes its rightful place. That's, that's great. So the spirit of, of man is made alive again. Created and made alive again. And so it takes its rightful place. And so the soul and the flesh don't control. Oh, listen, you may, the devil may try you and he may tempt you with lust. He may tempt you with anger. He may tempt you with all of these things, but they don't take because the spirit is in control. But unless something happens, what happens when we were saved, we're excited. 
All of us know when we got saved, we were so excited about serving the Lord. We were on fire for God. And boy, we want to take the world for Jesus. But unless something happens, the soul and the flesh begins to sit back in the driver's seat. And when you see people in church acting like the devil, the soul and the flesh is sitting back in the driver's seat. When you see Christians yielding to temptation, giving in to all kind of things, the soul and the flesh is in the driver's seat. Something must happen. That something, I believe, one of the things along with Bible reading, along with prayer, along with church attendance, I believe that something that must happen is a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Hello. We are Pentecostal here. We do believe in the full gospel. And we believe in being baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's real. It's real. I want to read you a scripture that is so powerful. John, This is one of my favorite verses, several verses in the Bible. It's John chapter 7, verse 37. Verse two, verse 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus, this is coming from Jesus himself, stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, one translation, the King James, out of his belly, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. This flows out of a person. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When a person is born again, the Spirit of God comes on the inside into his spirit, and that's the reason that man's spirit, small s, comes alive because the Holy Spirit, capital S, comes on the inside and his spirit is alive again. And the spirit is ruling through and by the Holy Spirit. But what happens if we're not careful, if, we, if, we don't, if we're not refilled, then, as I said, the soul and the body begin to dictate to the person, but we need the baptism so he will flow out of the spirit. Listen at this. Someone says, well, when I'm about saved, I have the Spirit. You are absolutely correct. You have just as much Spirit as you'll ever have. It's not part Spirit coming on the inside. It's the Spirit comes on the inside. But when a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is in our spirit flows through the soul, our emotions, our will. It flows through the body. I believe that's one reason that God ordained it to speak in tongues because the body is part of that. And that's where, the, that's where the real struggle comes in is with the body. And so the spirit of God and, and the spirit of man flows out of the spirit into the soul, into the body and there's a total change in that man and in that woman. 
That's the reason the devil fights you so hard or fights man so hard about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's because that's what he wants to happen is that rather than the devil being in control, the flesh being in control, carnality being in control, God wants the Spirit to work through us to be in control. The problem, the problem we have The Bible says here, and I love Paul. I I love what he he did here. He didn't just come out and say, okay, guys, don't do this. Don't do that. You can't go here. You can't say that. You can't feel this way. He did not come out with a negative. He came out first with a positive. He didn't say, if you don't fulfill the flesh, then you can walk in the spirit. And that's what a lot of us are trying to do. We're trying to be goody-goody. We're trying to do all the things, cross the T's, dot the I's, do all the things that we're supposed to do. Then the Holy Spirit will operate in my life. No, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to move in us. Then we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's good preaching, Brother Don. That's good stuff. I want to remove the oxygen from this glass. Now, you could put something on it and suck out the oxygen. That's be a little tough. I don't know. The glass might collapse. I don't know. You know, you've taken those plastic bottles that you drink water out of. You ever, you ever get all the water out and then you just put your mouth on it and just suck it? Watch that plastic bottle. I like that noise. You know, when it cracks. No. Well, you want to take oxygen out of this glass. What am I going to do to take oxygen out? I'm going to fill it with something. Now, as I filled that glass, the oxygen escaped. It was removed. Devil hounding you? Problems with that old unforgiveness in there? That bitterness, all that stuff that the devil tries to cram in your life, you want to get it out? Oh, we make New Year's resolutions. We do all kinds of things to get it out. We get counseling. Oh, tell me what I can do to make me, help me to get rid of this. I'm having such a struggle. You You know what you can do? Get filled with the Spirit. It just goes. It just goes. And I tell you, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be filled with the Spirit. You know, people say, walk in the Spirit. You know, you don't do this. It's moaning and humming to yourself and trying to walk in. You know, when you, it's so easy to walk in the Spirit. It's not something that, That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about reading God's word, praying, knowing what the word says, doing God's will in your life, allowing the Holy Spirit to move in you. Pray, sing. Did I say sing? I did say sing, didn't I? Someone says, I can't sing. You all talking about all that singing last night? Well, the Bible says make a joyful noise. Can you make a noise? 
Well, I'll tell you, I can't sing like Brother Matt can sing. Can you clap your hands? Can you pat your foot? Can you jump up and down? Leap for joy? Can you kneel on your knees at the altar? Can you run? There's a lot of things you can do to worship God. You don't have to sing like a bird to be able to worship God. You can worship God in a lot of ways. But one good way is to sing. Sing. You may not be a great singer, but I would encourage you to sing. I was going through, I forget whether it was either my, my heart surgery or the cancer surgery. I was going through one of those and, and uh, the doctor said, here, you, you need something to calm you down. You ever been there where the doctor wants to give you something to calm you down? This little old pill, he'll give you a little old pill. So I said, I'm going I'm to try that because I, I just need that. I get, I get, everybody, you know, a lot of people try it. I'm going to try it. So I started taking that medicine and I just, I was like a zombie. I'd sit at my desk in the office and I'd just stare. We, we ride down the highway. Carol don't talk. She just don't talk. Oh, she talks, but she don't talk a lot. I talk. And I sing. And I sing. And I sing. I sing in the car. I sing in the house. I sing in the shower. I sing. But that pill took my song. True, true story. Carol said, you're coming off that thing. You're not going to take that pill. In. What takes your song? Is it a pill? Make mel- you say, I can't sing. Can you make melody in your heart? Can you make melody in your heart? Sing. Let me tell you why we're to sing. I'm going to give you seven. Brother Matt, you, you, you'll like this. Cause give you, I just ran across this, and I just wanted to, to list them. Let me give you seven reasons why singing matters. When you sing, you obey God because he said sing. So as they're leading us in worship, now this morning, the first two songs I didn't know, I just stood there. If I don't know it, I don't, I don't sing. But well, I'm going to learn them. That's the thing to do. If you don't know the song, learn the song. It's not my style. Get out of that. Number two, when you sing, you dig deep roots in the word. There's not a song we sing here that doesn't have a lot of the word in it. How many of you know we need to dig deep roots into the word of God? And we sing them. You say, bless God, we sing that chord 42 times, I believe it was. No, we didn't sing it 42, but 41. You know, but we, you know, we sing them. But we dig deep. You sing that song. Almighty, God Almighty. We sing it over and over. Our God reigns. Our God, you know, when you sing, you dig deep. Roots in the word. Thirdly, when you sing, you build up others. I think it was Amber. Where's Amber? She here? You you threw me a curve today. I thought you sat on this side over here. 
I think I was sitting in front of you, standing in front of you last night. I just stood there and enjoyed your singing. I tuned out Matt and the music and I just, I just listened to Amber sing. She was a blessing to me. Or somebody was. I never did look around and see who was. Did you sit behind me last night? Yeah, I thought it was you. You could. I hope you're going to sing in the choir. Number four, when you sing, you make war. If you were here last night, when we got into that war song, I tell you what, I think, I think the, 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 the wood in this place was anointed. I mean, from the, from the columns all the way up. I mean, there was a, when we got into that war song, I'm telling you, it was powerful. It rumbled and rushed throughout this whole building. When you sing, you make war. Number five, when you sing, you are spiritually strengthened for trial. You know, a lot of people, the reason that they can't overcome the devil and they're not filled with the spirit is because they won't sing and worship ushers you in into the very presence of God. It's important that we worship. When you sing, you're spiritually strengthened for trial. When you sing, you walk a God-designed pathway to joy. I love that one. Brother Daniel, that's a good one. When you sing, you walk a God-designed pathway to joy. Did you know what? If you come in and you give in to your feelings, the, the, the carnality, and you say, I don't feel like singing. If you give in to that, you won't sing. But if you start singing in spite of how you feel, after a while, you're going to feel like singing. If we're not careful, we go too much on feeling anyway. I don't feel like today I love Carol. Well, I love Carol whether I feel like it or not. I don't feel like going to church. You know, a lot of folks didn't come to church today because they didn't feel like going to church. You don't not go to church because you don't feel like it. You go because it's God's will. I was going to whip my baby. No, no, not my baby. Oh, boy. You know, you say things sometimes, you just wish you could put it back in your mouth. I was going to discipline my child, okay? But now I got home and I don't feel like it. You don't do it not because you don't feel like it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And number six, when you sing, number seven, when you sing, you glorify God. It's important that we glorify God. The Lord Jesus Christ. I got to hush. My time is gone. Look at some lessons that we've learned. I hope you've learned today. The physical nature is to be allowed to exercise its natural rights, but under the guidance and control of the spiritual. We're human. I kid a little bit about Miss South Carolina coming. Guys like pretty women. And I look at pretty women. The Bible says not to look on a woman too 
lust after her. And a lot of times, especially young men, they'll see a pretty woman and they'll look and they'll just say, oh, you lusted. Listen, don't let the devil keep throwing you curves. Now, we're not to look on a woman to lust after her. Don't try to stymie what God put in you. It's just like when I was dealing with anger. It's okay to get angry. I get angry at the, I get angry at the way this country's run. But you should not let that anger control and rule your life. There's a difference. Hey, there's a difference. You just channel it. You allow the Holy Spirit that is in you to control it. Let me say that again. I want to read that again because I I don't know if you understood that, what it was saying. The physical nature is to be allowed to exercise its natural rights. But under the guidance and control of the spiritual, we must place the spiritual in its proper position of authority and certainly rule. Number two, if man is to be saved from evil thoughts, habits, passions, he must give, be given rather definite and positive duties to fulfill. My wife is a, one of the best at doing this I've ever seen. You know, I say, don't do this, don't do this. She's, she's, she's down the road with a plan with you doing what's right rather than saying, don't do what's wrong. Have a good aim. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the reason Paul wrote that first. He said, be filled with the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Have a good aim. Have a plan. It's not good dating to get in a car and be alone in some isolated place by yourself. Am I going where no man should ever go? No, it's not good. So when you date, have a positive plan. Know where you're going. Know what you're going to do. Then you won't be led into an area where the devil can tempt you beyond yourself. Have a plan. And no matter what area of life it might be, If you know you're going to be out somewhere and this can be, listen, this could be an area of contention. This could be an area of temptation beyond myself that I'm going to plan ahead. I'm not going to go there. It's not good to be delivered from alcohol and then find yourself at the bar every week. Plan to go somewhere else. Don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. The temptation is going to come whether you put yourself in the position to do it or not. But you're not going to put, listen, it's just important. Number three, Paul does not say that the lusting of, of corrupt nature shall be totally suppressed. I love this number three. Read it with me. Paul does not say that the lusting of corruption nature, of corrupt nature shall be totally suppressed, but it shall be fulfilled. What does he say? Walk in the spirit and you will not have any area of life. Didn't say that, did it? You follow what he's saying? This is important that you grasp this. He says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
It's coming. It's going to knock at your door. And if you think you're so holy, God or the devil can't tempt you with anything. But when you're walking in the Spirit, obedient to God, filled with the Spirit, you won't fulfill that desire. That, that, that word desire goes there in one translation. We have desires. This is good, this is good stuff. I, I, just, I just love it. Number four, there will be no subduing the, of the flesh without the setting up of opposite principle. Numbers, numbers uh, that was number four. Number five, our business is not to gratify the flesh, but to crucify it. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I, I, you know, we're dead to sin. I hope you understand that. I hope, I hope we're not so far from the scripture and, and, and the principles of God's word. We, we can't grasp that. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. That doesn't mean we were hung on a cross. It means self was, was, hung on, was put on that cross and selfish died. I've been crucified with Christ. Walking in the Spirit, number six, is something the Holy Spirit enables us to do by producing in us strong desires that accord with God's will. Amen. Father, I love you today. I thank you for this truth. Lord, I'm, I'm so encouraged with what you've taught us today. How to live as men and women. How to live as human beings in a world that is so lost. How to wake up every day being tempted, tried, and yet not succumbing to that temptation. God, I thank you for that. I pray, God, for every young man in this place today. When the devil tries to bombard their minds, I ask you to sanctify their eyes, dear God. Sanctify their minds. Give them strength, ability, and power to say no to the devil. And Lord, it's not just good enough to stand in the pulpit and say, just say no. That won't get it. They must be filled with your spirit. They must tap into that resource that you have provided. The resource of your word. The resource of an ongoing prayer life. The resource of fellowshipping with your people. Lord, that's the reason it's so important to let church attendance be part of our our everyday walk because we fellowship one with the other. God, we're pulled here, pulled there, pulled, pulled some other way. But yet, if we will do these things, and be filled with your spirit. Then we can say no. Then it becomes more than just a slogan. It becomes a reality. It's a great truth.